So what story is your life telling? In one way or another, and all, all throughout this book that Bob wrote, that we've been going through when life's not working, that's the question that he's asking. What is the story that your life is telling? You know, everybody loves a good story, don't we? But not everybody is a good storyteller. Me, for example, I have a ridiculous memory for detail. I can remember a life back to about 18 months old. I can remember thunderstorms. I can remember things that woke me in the middle of the night. I can remember this strange little white bow tie that my mom made me wear the, the day that I got baptized when I was three or four. I can remember the first and last names of just about every classmate I've ever had up to about ninth or 10th grade, but I have no idea where my keys are right now, and I'm not kidding. I can remember all of these things. I can remember the song that was on the radio in first grade on Halloween day when my mom was driving me to school. I've been waiting for a girl like you to come into my life. Now, I don't know, I didn't know what that meant at six, but uh, thank you very much. You can, that's my my best stuff. Foreigner, foreigner maybe, something like that. All of those things. I can remember the littlest of details, but there are things that I, I can't remember. But here's the truth is that when it comes to story, those things really are only a part of the equation. There's nothing particularly compelling about the first and last names of all of Adam's classmates or the song that was on the radio in 1980 when he was driving to school on Halloween day. Those are details, they're facts, but they're not a story. You see, I I love, I love stories. In fact, I love your stories. One of my favorite things to do that that I thank God uh, every day for is is just the chance to be with people and hear their stories. You know, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. But I have a special privilege because, you see, I have young couples that come to me that are about to get married, and they're so excited, and I love to ask them, just what is your story? Tell me about how you met, and to see them say, you go first. No, you first. No, you first. Okay, I'll go first. No, let me tell the story. That's the way it usually ends up happening. I love those those moments, just to hear where two lives came together, two families, and just against all odds, here is this wonderful story unfolding. You know, I ask the same question when I'm sitting with a family around a kitchen table, around the table in my office when we're planning the details of a celebration of life, and, and I ask them with regards to the family member or the friend that they've lost, what was their story? What was their life all about? Tell me those details, and we'll cry, and we laugh, and we cry again. But I am amazed at the stories that come out of those experiences, because those are stories worth telling. Now, if I were to ask you, what are the details of a story, many of you could go back to ninth grade English, or maybe just rudimentary English, where you remember, these are the details of a story, the elements, you know, you've got plot, you've got character development, you've got the antagonist, the protagonist, you've got a climactic moment, maybe there's some tension, but those elements together still don't make a story. I mean, think of all the, the movies that we see every year and the pages that we read that have those boxes checked but have absolutely nothing to say. There's nothing compelling about so many of these stories. 
They're checking the box, but they're often not worth the paper they were printed on. See, here's what it comes down to for me. Here's what really makes a story. For me, what makes a story is that when somebody tells a story that shouldn't have happened, that beat the odds, that knocked you off your feet, that caught you off guard, that just shouldn't have happened. But furthermore, it's really the stories of triumph, the stories of overcoming, those great stories like Braveheart and Forrest Gump and Rudy. Those are stories. Now, what is it? There's one theme that's unifying all of those great stories, and you know what it is. When everyone else said give up, when everyone else said bail, when everyone else said quit, they didn't. They persevered. They gave it one more day, and we love those stories. And every single one of us in this room, myself included, hopes that one day at the end of our lives, people will tell one of those stories. Even if it's just one, they'll tell one of those about us. One that will be passed from, grand, from our grandchildren on to generation after generation. Remember what he did or what she did. Now that is a story worth telling. But here's a problem. Here's the problem that every single one of us in this room has, and you're not going to like it, is that we're born quitters, you and me. We are. We're born quitters. It's in our nature, and the older we get, the smarter and more sophisticated our excuses for quitting become. We can quote definitions and language that we picked up from Dr. Phil, like transference and countertransference and pass passive aggression and, oh, no, he didn't. We have all of these moments that we can remember. We quote economics and proclaim our politics. We blame our birth order and tout our snubbed love languages. We have reason and rhyme and remedy for why things just had to end. And then in the end, there's nothing left to do but quit, but give up. And while that may be the status quo, that may be what most people do, there is absolutely nothing compelling about that sort of story. Don't bother retelling that one at the end of your life. Don't bother telling that one to another generation. Why bother? It's a, it ends exactly the way we expected it to end. So what about your life? What about your life today? Where is it that you are prone to give up, that you're prone to quit, maybe relationally? If you were to ask your friends or your family members around you uh, uh, that true story, if you could really get an honest answer, what might they say about you, about the string of broken relationships over and over again? It's always someone else's fault. Why you just can't seem to get along. Or you that this is the way I am, I just tell it like it is and you deal with it. Sometimes I'm that way. What about professionally? Where is it right now that you are just, you are staring down <clears throat> a challenge? You are staring down something that you just don't know what to do about, and yet you're feeling like maybe the answer is giving, just to give up. Maybe I should just quit right now. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And I mean, I mean, on paper, it makes sense that's what I'm supposed to do. But in your heart, deep down, the voice inside of you is saying, is that really the answer? Is that the story that you want your life to tell? Is it time to bail now? 
What about that idea that you've got that you've just been waiting to see happen? Maybe it's, maybe it's a concept, you know, but I think really the most important question is what about God? Where is it that you are prone to give up on him and just say, you know what, I'm going to have to put you, God, on the shelf over here. Let me do this one by myself. When I get this thing figured out, then I'll come back and see you when, when life is working smoothly again. Where are you prone to just give up on him? What story is your life telling? Really, the question that all of us have to answer today is, what is the story your life is telling? What is the story that your family and your friends are saying about you even right now by the way you live, not so much by the words that you speak? Is it compelling? Is it worth repeating? Or is it full of the expected, the check boxes of safety measures, of calculated risk management? Is that your life? Is that your story? You know, one of the, the great things about being up here and you being down there <laughs> is I get to pitch, pick which chapter I want to talk about. And often pastors will give messages to themselves first and then it just happens to make its way <laughs> to the congregation. This message today is for me. So it just so happens that you're here, so hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. But in chapter 3, Bob Merritt talks about this principle. He talks about story. He talks about what is it that really makes a life worth talking about? What is it that makes a story worth telling? Something compelling. He writes this. He says, over the past 30 years, I've learned that often the only difference between those who succeed and those who don't is perseverance. Often, it's not intelligence, talent, or strength that wins the day. Those things help, but often... It's the person who just hangs in there and outlasts the others for one more day. One more day. And so if you came here this morning, if you came here this morning with a need, whether it was relationally, whether it was professionally, whether it was in your relationship with God, and you're feeling like, I, I think this is it. I think it's time. In fact, maybe even tomorrow was going to be your day. You're here just to, to check a box, and tomorrow it's time to give up, whatever it was. Before you give up, let's dig in this morning and find some hope through Scripture because we're going to find a story, one of my favorites, from old Moses who knew something about quitting. He knew something about giving up. He knew something about being challenged. And, and at that very last moment, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What an amazing story he has to tell. We're going to look at it today in what I'm calling a diary of a recovering quitter. See, I'm going to give you three deficits this morning, all that, that all of us face when it comes to perseverance. And we're gonna, we're, each of us are going to answer three questions but at the end of this message, you're going to have to answer this question, what is the story that my life is telling? And so let's look at Exodus 3 today. Most of you know the story about Moses. Maybe you remember from the days of vacation Bible school when you were little, or maybe from Promised Land, or maybe Rock City. You know the story of Moses and his, his mother in the midst of it, uh, just a tremendous adversity it, uh, when, when his life was threatened as a baby, what did she do? She, 
put him in a basket that she wove together and floated him down the river because the pharaoh of Egypt had said every son, every boy was going to lose their life under a certain age. And so she said, this is my only shot. Can you imagine that, moms? Where the only chance for your, the life of your, your baby boy was just to build a raft and float him down the river. That's where Moses and his mother found themselves. And so the story continues that in God's providence that this little baby boy didn't just float off into nowhere, off into the sea, but he floated right past Pharaoh's daughter. The, fair, the very Pharaoh that had that given this decree that this child, this very child, was to lose his life. So his daughter takes this child, this Moses, and, and uh, ends up raising him. Moses becomes a part of the very family that it issued the decree that he should lose his life. Talk about a story worth telling. That's amazing. Amazing story. So in an irony of ironies, he becomes the grandson of Pharaoh, but he goes on. He, he goes on, and he, he, he's raised in royalty, but what happens? He makes a mistake. He makes a mistake, and he, he, in trying to defend and try to do what's right, he ends up killing a man, and that gives him a bad reputation. And all of a sudden, he finds himself running from his grandfather, the Pharaoh. And he finds himself out in the wilderness, just wandering, wandering and wandering. And he ends up moving from being this prince of Egypt to being a simple shepherd, just trying to hide. Maybe if I could just live my life all by myself, I've given up on that, I'm just going to stay out here. But God had another plan for him. God had another plan for him, didn't he? Because in this story, and this is where we pick it up here in chapter 3, is that God shows up to Moses in this bush that was on fire, that wouldn't, that wouldn't go away. The bush continued to burn somehow and just wouldn't go away, and God met him in the midst of this burning bush. Maybe this morning is your burning bush. And so we talk in, in chapter 3, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you this morning, as I said, three deficits, three deficits of a recovering quitter, all of us wrestling with these th same issues. And the first really comes down to the authority inferiority deficit from chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. That was pretty good, wasn't it? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are, pre are pressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So you're Moses. You knew, you, you knew what Egypt was all about. You'd been in the wilderness for some period of time. You'd just been kind of watching some sheep, and you'd got kind of used to it because life was pretty easy out there. You could, you know, hedge your bets. You could keep it safe. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, God shows up in this bush. He shows up, and he says, you thought your life was just cruising. You thought you were on cruise control. But I've got a story that I want your life to live that's going to change the lives of countless people for generations to come. Are you willing to do this? And here's what I want you to do. And here's what Moses' response was. 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Do you, God, do you remember my story? Do you remember what I did? Do you know where I came from? What in the world? You've obviously got the wrong person. There's got to be somebody on the other side of this bush that you're talking to because it can't be me. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like something was, was staring right at you? Maybe God himself was saying, do this, and you're thinking, there's no, are you, are you sure? This can't be me. Do you know who I am, God? That's where Moses found himself. So it goes on, and can, the story continues. He says, who am I that, you, that, uh, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says this, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. They, they, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And so Moses is wrestling with this, uh, this authority, this inferiority issue, this deficit where he knows who he is, and he has no idea by whose authority he's to speak on, although I think he knows, and he just is looking for ways out like we so often do. Whose authority is he to speak on behalf of? Well, in my house, one of the biggest uh, issues that we have over and over again is who gets to watch what show on TV? And usually that comes down to Luke and Zoe and, and uh, Lily is yet, she's just kind of happy to be along for the ride at this point. If my little pony comes on every now and then, she's thrilled. But Zoe, on the other hand, Zoe loves my little pony. And Luke loves the Transformers. And so we've had to kind of devise a system to say, okay, Luke, you'll get to watch Transformers this time, but in a minute, as soon as this is over, Zoe's going to get to watch My Little Pony. Well, I, uh, the day started a couple of weeks ago, and, and, uh, and Luke was up first, because Zoe went first the day before. And so Luke starts with the Transformers, and then about 20 minutes later, uh, Luke came upstairs, Zoe came upstairs, and she, she was just in tears, sobbing, so emotional. Oh, daddy, daddy, I just want to watch My Little Pony. I want to watch My Little Pony. And I said, Zoe, you know the deal. You get to watch My Little Pony right now. Just go down and tell Bubba, which is what she calls Luke, go tell him that you can watch My Little Pony. And so she just kind of, you know, stood up straight. She walked down. You could hear her kind of pound down the stairs. And I heard her say, Bubba, I'm going to watch My Little Pony. And I listened. And then she, kept, she started crying again. Oh, she walked right back upstairs and she said, Transformers is still on the TV. And I said, Zoe, go tell Bubba that Daddy says it's time to watch My Little Pony. She stood up a little taller. She walked down the stairs. And she said at the top of her voice, Baba Daddy says I can watch My Little Pony now. And she yells it as loud as she can. And about 10 seconds later, what was on? My Little Pony and Me. You could probably sing it. Well, what's the point of that? You know, I wanted Zoe at first. I wanted her to know that she had authority. She had the ability because the rules were in place that she could go down and say, listen, hey, this is the rules, Bubba. I get to watch My Little Pony right now. But at the end of the day, 
I wanted her to know that I had her back. And I would have done the same for Luke, too, if she had broken the rule. And so when Daddy said, and if, or if Mom had said, really, really, if Mom had said, let's be honest, <laughs> I just happened to be the only one in the room. But because someone with authority spoke, Bubba had to listen. Do you believe that? Do you know today that you don't just speak with your own authority, but there is a God who has called you, who has wired you, who has shaped you, whose authority you speak with? Because when we speak with that authority, that kind of authority, boy, is that a story worth telling. And so here's the question, if you're following on your little fill-in-the-blank sheet. The question is, is who's holding your remote control? Who's the one holding the remote control? Are you stuck in your life just speaking on your own behalf and it seems like no one's listening and so you're just ready to give up? Have you forgotten or do you even know or are you really convinced that there's a God who has control of your life and it's simply a matter of saying, all right, God, regardless of how inferior I am or where, I, where my authority in this world lies, you are the authority in my life. Here's the remote control. The story continues in, uh, in Exodus 16, or chapter 3, verse, verse 16, where he goes on and God tells the story of all these things that are going to happen and go and tell them not only are you speaking in my name, but tell them all the amazing things that are going to happen. He says this, go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what you have done in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of the misery of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So here's this story here. I mean, it's it, it, go and tell them that these amazing things are going to happen. What's going to happen? But then, it, then it, as the story continues, and Moses listens for a while, and he says, all right, all right, all right, all right. He says this in chapter 4. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Hold on to that thought. A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses knew, and Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So Moses is, but, but what if they say that I'm not telling the truth but what if they find out that I have no credibility? What if they find out that I don't know what I'm doing? I'm just Moses, this guy that's been wandering in the field, the guy that killed somebody right in their very midst. What if they find out about me? And God says, but what is in your hand? What is in your hand? I remember when I was about 14, 15 years old that my parents uh, taught me very young, listen, you know, here's what, we're going to buy you these kinds of clothes. Here's what we're going to do. But if you want something better than that, if you want to upgrade, <laughs> then you're going to have to go get a job and pay for that upgrade. I'm so glad they did. 
And so I, I very early, I remember cutting grass at age 12 or 13. I remember cleaning pools. I remember doing all kinds of stuff. And finally, I turned 15. And in Florida, 15 is the magic age. That's when you're able to, you were able, back in, back in the uh, late 80s, you were able to start working. But you had to have a work permit. You had to have a card. And so I remember going to all of these places, finding out beforehand, not realizing initially that I had to have this work card. And I went to Baskin and Robbins. I wanted to scoop ice cream. I went to a, a restaurant, thought I wanted to, uh, to bust tables. And all of them would ask me, well, do you have a, do you have a work card? And I'd say, no, no, I don't. Well, you got to have a work card. Are you sure? Yeah, I think you have to have a work card. And so a work permit. And so I went to Baskin and Robbins. They said, well, you have to have a work permit. So finally... Um, I went and got this work permit, and I went back, and I said, okay, I've got my permit. Let me scoop some ice cream. And they said, yes, we'll let you scoop some ice cream, Adam. Well, here's the point, and it's very simple. Is that I had zero authority. I had zero ability. I had zero credibility. But God had put something in my hand. <laughs> I had gone to the, to the state board of, of, uh, of employment, and I'd got this little card which gave me the authority to go and work. It gave me the ability to do something that I couldn't do on my own without this card. And so here's the thought today I want to ask you. What is it that God has put in your hand? It may not be a, a work card. It may not be a staff that turns into a snake, but God has given each of you something Something that only you have. What is it that he's put in your hand? Has he given you time? Has he given you resources? Has he given you a, a, a certain intellect? Has he given you a, a, just a certain eye? What is it that he has given you? And then the question is, what is it that you are going to be doing with it? Because we all have a credibility deficit. All of us. But God has put something in your hand. What is it? Here's the last thought that I want to leave you with. As the story continues in, in Exodus, so God has, has done these amazing things. He showed up to Moses. He's, he said, I, I, I know you don't have the ability. I know that, that you don't have the authority. You're going to speak on my behalf. I know that, that you're going to go speak to them, and you're worried. What are they going to say about you? Whose name are you coming on behalf of? And he's getting ready to go, and he says this. God tells this whole wonderful story, and in verse 10, he's, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. And I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now, wouldn't it be great if that was the end of the story? And Moses got it, and he was like, all right, God, I'm, really, this third time's a charm. I'm going to listen to you this time. You've given me a, a, a stick that turns into a stake somehow. Uh, you've told me that I am is, is my defender. You've given me the, all, of the, all the things that I need. You told me, you've reminded me that you created this body wouldn't it be great if that was the story and he walked up to Pharaoh and did exactly what God had told him to do, but that is not the story. You see, Moses still is wrestling with this desire. I just, he just wants to quit. He wants to give up, and we find ourselves in that position so often. And he says this in verse 13. But Moses said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Send 
someone else. Please send someone else to do it. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever wish that whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now, oh, what a, just God, why couldn't this be someone else? I mean, I've done all the right things. Uh, I've followed your plan. I've done all of this, but here I am facing this trial. I'm facing this circumstance, and I'm asking myself, God, why couldn't somebody else be doing this? I can't do what it is that you're asking me to do. You want me to forgive? I don't want to forgive. I want to punt. You want me to love? They don't deserve love. What are you talking about? You want me to give it one more day at my job, but I just don't want to. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to quit. It just would be easier to quit. And so we find ourselves exactly in the same spot that Moses was in. You see, here's what I believe. I believe that Moses missed something here because what ends up happening in the story is that God says, you know what? I hear you. And I'm going to give you some grace here and I'm going to send your brother Aaron who is a great speaker, and he's going to go with you, and he's going to do all the talking, okay? You still get the stick, (laughs) but he's going to do the talking. The stick's pretty cool. I believe that Moses missed something here, and I don't know how this story would have panned out if Moses had really done what God had wanted him to do because God knew who he was, and he knew that, oh, I just want Moses to go, and if he just is willing, if he just opens his mouth, imagine the words that are going to pour out. Moses misses it. But yet God was still faithful and he's still gracious. And I think that's where he meets us in this story today, right where we are in our own lives. That even when we continue to bail over and over and over again, God continues to give us grace and he sends us errands who can come and speak on our behalf. He does it over and over and over again. But here's the bottom line, is that God didn't choose Moses because of his ability. He's not choosing you today because of your ability. There's nothing all that remarkable about any of us. We're all pretty much the same. We can, maybe some of us are better in math than others. Some of us are better at public speaking. Some of us are great at uh, at, at interpersonal skills. Some of us are artists and musicians. But at, at the end of the day, there's nothing all that remarkable about any of us. And God knows that. He's not looking for remarkable. He's not looking for amazingly over-the-top talented. What he's looking for is simply this. He's looking for availability. He's looking and he's asking, are you available? God is never looking for, for capability. He's always looking for availability. And so this is the question to you today. What supersized task has God asked you to do for which you feel utterly unprepared for? What is it? What is that calling the God's people out of Egypt task that God might be asking you to do? And it might seem not that grand or that over the top, but it is so huge and in your face. It might just simply be to give it one more day. As a young parent, you're thinking, uh, perhaps, is, is this the end of my story? Am I going to be stuck in diapers with my kids for the rest of my life? I remember feeling like that. Feeling like, are my kids just going to be in diapers forever? Is this it? And it still feels like that sometimes. Maybe it's just a matter of giving it one more day. Well, so the rest of the story of Moses, you know, what happens? Wouldn't it be great? All right, so he's got Aaron. He's got all these amazing things that happen. He's got the stick. He's got the I am sent him. 
But what happened? Did God say, okay, here it is. It's cake. This is the end of the story. No. He goes, and Pharaoh doesn't want anything to do with him. And plague after plague and story after story unfold. And Moses, again, was at the end of his rope. And he was asking himself, God, did I miss you here? Because didn't you just call me? What is it that you're trying to say? What is it that you're trying to do? You see, here's, the, here's what makes a great story. Here's part of why I think that God didn't just roll out the red carpet. It's because he knew that we wouldn't buy it if he did. He knew that, the, that real life was tough, that it was hard, that there were setbacks. And here's the truth about those setbacks is that they build our faith. They increase our strength. And, but this is the most important thought is that they force us back to God. And you see this in Exodus 5, where after all of these things were happening and God still was, was challenging Moses to dig in, in 5.22, Moses, it says this, Moses returned to the Lord. And he asked him, what's next? What am I supposed to do? What is it in your life right now that God is saying, would you just return to me? You've tried to do it on your own. Just return to me. Just return to me. Because the end of the story with Moses was that eventually God's people made it to the promised land. Yes, they wandered for 40 years. Yes, Moses himself never actually made it in, but they made it. And we are here as a result celebrating this story that is worth telling. One day at the end of your life, what is your story going to be based on the decisions that you may end up making even today? Her name is Barbara. Barbara was a, a wonderful, wonderfully sweet woman. And last week, last Saturday, I had the privilege of, uh, of presiding over her memorial service. Hers was a story that was worth telling, a life that was worth living. And I want to read to you something that I learned about perseverance, about giving it one more day from this beautifully sweet woman who lived a long life, who had three beautiful children and one wonderful grandson. She taught us this. Hear these words today. As Barbara knelt down, as she lived her life with a towel wrapped around her waist, she taught you these lessons. She taught you that love is a compromise. Remember this, and you'll find happiness in life and in relationships. Never, ever take a back seat to anyone. You are far too special and much too important to allow anyone to belittle you. But perhaps the greatest lesson of all, she taught you this. A knock is a boost. In fact, our family would say, a knock's a boost. And I had to say, what are you saying several times? But they said, a knock is a boost. And this is what she would say, that it's the tough stuff that makes you stronger, that makes you a better person. It defines you. It refines your character, your faith, your future. A knock is a boost. And if you listen closely, you can hear Barbara say to you now. You can hear mom say to you now, a knock is a boost. While today we may feel beaten, worn down, a ship at sea who's lost its anchor, as we live the life that she taught us to live, a life poured out as an expression of unconditional love, our mourning will soon turn to gladness, and our sorrow will in time turn to dancing. A knock 
is a boost. Or maybe if she were here today, she would say, people, just give it one more day. So you know the story of Moses. You know how his story ended. But what is the story? This is the question. What is the story that your life is telling today? Where do you need to overcome your deficits and give it one more day? Where are you ready to cave? Where are your knees about to buckle? Where would it just be easier to throw in the towel? Just remember this. Your God has the remote control. He's the authority on, on, who you, on who, whose authority you speak on behalf of. He's put something in your hand and he's given you a supersized, larger-than-life task that you are incapable of doing on your own. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give in. Just give it one more day. Just give it one more day. And I promise you, at the end of your life, if you live this principle over and over and over again, your life and my life will be a story that's worth telling. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's amazing that you would take such average, ordinary people and put challenges in front of us that are just absolutely insurmountable, impossible, but you do it with the hope that we would do this with you because, God, truthfully, it's the only way it's going to work. And from the story of Moses, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that his story is not that exceptional. In fact, what makes it great is that he is just like us, that he's broken, that he's made mistakes, and he's run from you, but yet you still pursued him, God, like you pursue us today. There's so much advice that we'd love to give to ourselves. God, if that one piece of advice today would be to give it one more day with you, would we take heed? Would we listen? Father, we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Listen, I hope you have a great week. Good day and God bless.